Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how you doing on this Wednesday? Uh, I'm doing good. Doing good. little early recording this week. Kind of a short week for me as we head west, as we often do this time of year. Those mountains don't ski themselves, Carson. Do you like skiing or golf more? Because I feel like you do both equally. I, uh, I have contemplated this question. Like if I could only do one, which would I choose? Um, I would choose golf. I'm, I'm more addicted to golf for a longer portion of the year. I get about three months where I can go out every four or five weeks and ski for two or three days at a time. Uh, and it's great and I love it, but man, it is hard on my body. Uh, I always come back sore and hurting. I'm always trying to, to push it a little bit further so I can golf until I'm 80. I don't, I don't know if I'll be skiing past 50, uh, with the way that we go on our ski trips, but skiing is definitely the winter equivalent of golfing for me in terms of a hobby that I love. Can you explain the appeal? of skiing to me. I went when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, something like that. Uh, I don't like getting all bundled up just to sweat profusely while I ski. That's kind of a weird sensation when it's freezing outside and you're just sweating from essentially a workout. I explain the appeal of skiing to someone like me who doesn't see the, the fun in it. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's for everyone. When we were younger, we went, you know, my dad would always complain about having to load up and bundle up and carry everything up. And if you're just going out and you're just kind of coasting some greens and blues and you're never really committing to it, I could see how it wouldn't really be your thing, right? Like you play golf three times a year and you don't commit to it and you never get any good at it. Then it's like, okay, I don't see how people get addicted and are playing multiple times a week. But if a, you like to chase some adrenaline, which I do, and B, you really commit to it. That's when it becomes fun because that's when, like, every trip I'm trying to hit a new run that I've never hit before or I'm trying to go to the terrain park and progress, like, just a little bit each time. So, for me, like, with golf, I, I always work on getting my handicap down, right? With skiing, I'm always working on every time I go, I want to do one more part of the mountain that I've never done. So, for me, it's, it's chasing that adrenaline and chasing – uh, just chasing the new, chasing that new challenge. Cause I can't just do the same thing over and over again, but if I've got something new to challenge myself, that's kind of where I, that's my sweet spot. So there is some golf corollary there where if you're really good at it, it's fun. If you stink, it's maybe not, but how do you, how do you get good at skiing and work your way up past the blues without just straight up injuring yourself? Uh, well, number one, you accept that injury is a possibility and you just, you go, man, it's, and it's not for if you don't like adrenaline, like if you don't um, get any satisfaction. Like I've got this app that tells me how fast I go on my skis. Fastest I've ever been on skis is, is 60 miles an hour. Holy and, crap. Oh, dude, the adrenaline rush. I mean, you're every little bump you hit, your skis are shaking and coming off the ground. Like, and that adrenaline uh, dropping in on a, a double black with rocks and trees, like that adrenaline that just courses through your body. Um, if you haven't done it, it's, it's hard to describe. And if you aren't someone who chases that and who loves that, then it's, it's, it might not be for you. Yeah. I'm terrified just listening to you talk about it. So I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good on skiing, <laughs> but yeah, that's where I'll be this weekend and uh, fingers crossed. And hopefully I, I do ski about 10% safer since we had our child a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> just think about that statement. It's like, okay, I won't risk my life as much now that I'm a father. That's that's your hobby. I don't want to turn this into a, a full skiing podcast, but if people have interest, then maybe one day I'll tell a couple <laughs> stories during the slow period uh, about some things me and one of my buddies from high school used to do. Uh, just, I mean, one day we got lost like an hour from the ski resort and we were just in the middle of nowhere by ourselves. That was that was a little sketch, but um, maybe maybe once we have like truly nothing to talk about and it's a dead time, then I'll tell some good skiing stories about being out in the wilderness. Yeah, uh, not for me, but hey, that's 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 fine. I, I hope you have fun this weekend. We have a lot of news and notes regarding Oklahoma State to get to. Uh, any final thoughts on Texas, Colby? I think one one thing that really stuck out to me is Barry Trammell from Sellout Crowd 
charted Quinn Ewers passes and the distance in which they traveled. And it kind of backed up what I said on the, the recap pod of the big 12 championship and that Quinn Ewers was good. He looked under control. He, was, he had a lot of good protection, but he didn't have to do a whole lot in terms of throwing the ball down the field. He basically just got to dump it off and let his skill talent do the work. Uh, Barry charted that 29 passes landed less than five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, and he completed 28 of those 29 passes for 284 yards. And uh, in, in contrast, he threw the ball deep six times, connecting just one time for 62 yards. And that, that to me, probably over the entirety of the Big 12 championship game was the most disappointing aspect of it. Sure, Ollie Gordon not having much room to run. Sure, Alan Bowman not able to connect on a deep ball or two, but I thought the game was really lost Colby in the lack of adjustments defensively for Texas really doing whatever they wanted uh, on the, on the edges with very short passing. And I, I, I certainly understand the mindset coming into the game, Colby, that's been their, their big bugaboo is giving up, you know, the deep shot. So I understand how you start the game, but the, the slowness in reacting to what Texas was doing and really no reaction to what Texas w- was doing was the ultimate disappointment for me. Uh, yeah, I think the the inability to really stop the run, too, um, just made it hard on Oklahoma State defensively to cover some of those other things. So he threw it 29 times short, six times deep. He had 46 overall attempts. That leaves 11 for the intermediate. And obviously the short is where he had the most success and then the intermediate uh, and then a little less success throwing the ball deep. But Oklahoma State just... They, they seemingly weren't in the right places. Um, again, I go back to the little flat route where Dylan Smith and Xavier Benson both thought they were going out there. Texas ran that play several times with success. Once you run that, then you can bring crossers uh, over the middle, and, and then you've got guys having to set the edge. You've got more room to work in the middle of the field with Jatavian Sanders, who's just an absolute matchup nightmare, uh, really, for anybody. And for Oklahoma State, it was no different. What he end up? 8, 105, and 1 for uh, Jatavian Sanders. And then Adonai Mitchell out on the edge, 6 for 109 and a touchdown. Xavier Worthy had 6 for 86. So that's three players for Texas combining for 20 catches uh, for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that's just – that's three guys. 20 catches, 300 yards, two touchdowns. You're not going to win. You're not going to have any success whenever that's happening on the outside. And it's something that Oklahoma State has to get shored up because next year, uh, obviously, I – don't think there's any doubt Brian Nardo is going to be back for year two. And I, I think that the development that we want to see from Brian, Brian Nardo is first half game plans. Second half game plans were great throughout much of this season. But in the first half, you come out and, and we saw it several times, especially down the stretch of the season. And I mean, even Saturday, you give up 35 in the first half. I mean, like you said, they're, they're throwing up graphics. Quinn Ewers, fourth most passing yards all time in a Big 12 championship game. There's like four minutes left in the second quarter. That kind of stuff is what can't happen. So um, that, to me, is the big development we're going to have to see from Nardo moving forward is making sure that the game plan coming into the game, um, you know, teams mix it up. So, so your second-half game plan may always be stronger, but your first-half game plan can't get you beat this badly. What do you want to see moving forward from the quarterback position? I think Alan Bowman's chances of getting an extra year are are pretty low, uh, based on you know things I've read, things I've heard. So I I don't anticipate him being back, and of course Oklahoma State I believe will look at the transfer portal or perhaps you know they have some young quarterbacks on the roster. Garrett Rangel wasn't given much of a shot this year, in my opinion, to compete for it. I thought Gunnar Gundy was given more of a chance than Garrett Rangel. Uh, I know they do like Zane Floors, uh, the the freshman that did not play. I, I'm curious, you know. I think, I think getting to ten wins is a big deal, Colby. So I, I don't anticipate them playing anyone other besides Alan Bowman. I would like to see what Floors has if they do get a big lead, get him out there and let him play some. But what do you make of the quarterback position? Should should Alan Bowman not return? Yeah, I um. As far as his waiver goes, my understanding is that he needs to get his redshirt year at Texas Tech transferred and, and turned into a medical redshirt, and then he needs to get his redshirt year moved to the year in Michigan in which he didn't play at all. And then if those two things happen, then he could apply for a waiver for an additional year um, dealing with COVID. It's it's a paperwork nightmare. Um, I don't know if he's going to get it. That's a lot that has to go right to get it, but I I just don't know what the NCAA is going to do 
on that front anymore. So um, just to clear up what the situation is there with Bowman, I do expect him to be the guy in the bowl game. I think that they want to win 10 games. I think that they want to beat Texas A&M, the SEC school with all the money and the new coach coming in. Uh, I think that that matters to Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State. And I, and I think to an extent, um, bowls don't carry the weight that they used to, but I think that they do still matter to the fan base too this year. Uh, getting to play Texas A&M and a chance to get to 10 wins, I think is important. So I expect to see Bowman, Bowman for the entirety of the bowl game. Now, if he doesn't come back going into next year, I, I think if you're going into the portal, um, it's only to get the guy that you are certain is your day one starter next season. And, and that's what we thought they did a year ago whenever they went out and got Bowman. And then he, he wasn't so good. Uh, and he didn't overwhelm in camp that he just outright won the job and they didn't run him out there as the starter first game of, of September. I think you're only going to the portal if you're getting a surefire starter day one out of the portal. Otherwise, I think you're letting Flores and Rangel compete for the job. Um, some people out there might say, Gunner, I, I know you and I are on the same page. I just I don't think his arm's strong enough. I don't think he is the quarterback at Oklahoma State. I, I, I don't think that he's quite good enough uh, to play at that level and, and be a guy who wins 10 games in the Big 12. Rangel and Flores, I, I think, are pretty unknown. Um, Rangel has not had a ton of chances to succeed at Oklahoma State in limited action. I don't think he's looked great. I think he's just looked okay. Decent pop in the arm, decent uh, mobility. I, I question a little bit some of the timing and the accuracy on these quick outs that Oklahoma State likes to run. That We saw Bowman get so many free yards throughout the season to, to Rashad Owens, Leon Johnson, and those guys. Um, so I think unless you can get a surefire day one starter, you're letting Rangel and Flores compete for it. And if Flores is the better guy, maybe you could have a four-year starter at that position. So that is what I envision Oklahoma State doing at quarterback. Um, but obviously, we all took a big whiff on what we envisioned was going to happen coming into 2023. So I guess only time will tell. No, we didn't. Well, you're, well we, we initially whiffed. we did. <laughs> we whiffed for like a month. <laughs> yeah. Well, Colby, for once, breaking news has occurred as we are recording. Uh, usually big news breaks and we're not able to talk about it for close to a week. But um, this is a bit of a stunner for me. Guy you just mentioned, uh, Gunnar Gundy has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Okay. Of course, the son of Mike Gundy. Um, he had that weird deal where he sat out a year before enrolling at Oklahoma State. I presume to put a year distance between him and Spencer Sanders, but he's entering the transfer portal, which look, I, I understand it. I, I don't really understand why he went to Oklahoma state in the first place, other than the fact he's grown up there. It's his, it's, that's what he is. He is Oklahoma state much like his father. But if I'm him, I was, a, he was a very good high school quarterback in the state of Oklahoma. I would want to play. Uh, he got a taste of it this year. He, I think maybe perhaps that was, Kind of a, a bucket list item for him to take the field as the quarterback for Oklahoma State. Uh, good on that. But I think obviously Colby, it appears to me he wants to go play somewhere, wherever that may be. But I'm I, I got to say I'm stunned by this. I figured he would be on the roster and be waiting in the wings should you know the presumed starter go down or you know wait and see if he can play more than he did this year. See, I, I'm actually not that surprised by this. Um, because I just didn't think he was good enough to play at this level. And I, I think he wants to play football. I think he wants to go somewhere and be the starter and be the guy. And, and I think he wanted the chance to do it at Oklahoma State. And he got the chance in three games this September, and it didn't work, right? The offense was abysmal. It was not all him. I don't want to pretend that it was all him. They hadn't had the running back situation figured out. The blocking up front was not great. It wasn't just Gunner, but I, I think we saw enough from him to think that he's probably not the guy to, to have 10 win seasons at Oklahoma State. Now, if he goes to like, I don't know, North Texas, somewhere like that, could he be the starter at that level and, and torch some of those kids at, at that level? Yeah, maybe. He was a really good high school quarterback, and we'll see what he can do. But I really hope he transfers to that level and we can see him play um, a, a, like a North Texas schedule because I really think that he could succeed there. Uh, I, I have no interest in just sitting in here ripping on Gunnar Gundy. I just I don't think he was quite good enough to be the quarterback at Oklahoma State. And I think he'll be better off elsewhere at a lower level. And I hope he goes somewhere and crushes and throws for, you know, 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns next season. I think that'd be great. Yeah, that um, – I am surprised. <laughs> but I think that that ultimately, I think, kind of tips the hand of what they're going to do, Colby. Now they they have to go to the portal regardless of the status of uh, Alan Bowman because you're left with Zane Flores and – 
Garrett Rangel, and I, I think you need more depth than just two. So uh, I think they got to go to the portal now. I, I haven't seen all the quarterbacks that have entered at this point. That more will come out. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on what they decide to do. But how do you feel about Alan Bowman? Should he have the opportunity to come back? I Look, I, I think he provided exactly what we were begging for in September. He provided stability. He provided a competency that they all that's all they really needed given their skill talent a wide receiver and in the emergence of Ollie Gordon. I thought he really steadied the ship. Uh, I thought he really struggled the last month of the year. And I think he's kind of limited in terms of what this offense can ultimately be explosive wise with deep deep shots and and just what the Oklahoma State offense were so accustomed to seeing in the throwing game. Serviceable is the word that comes to my mind, but I do think they can perhaps do better, uh, whether that's development of the younger guys or perhaps uh, in the transfer portal again. But I, I think, I, having said that, Colby, I do think if he were to return, I think Alan Bowman's good enough to win the Big 12 next year. So maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I, I think they're kind of limited with Alan. And you saw that when they're not able to run the football, they don't have a ton of options when they can't do their RPO type stuff. Uh, but his absolute ceiling, I think, is kind of what he did what he did for him this year. Yeah, I think that there's a big divide on Alan Bowman, and, and there are still people, and this is insane to me, under Cody Nagel's tweet about Gunner Gundy, Gunner Gundy entering the transfer portal, Midnight Mamba replies and says, good for him, he should have gotten the nod this year, probably will never get a fair shake at Oklahoma State. Like, I, I just... <laughs> a fair shake? I, I, again, it's just, it's delusion. Um Alan Bowman came in this year after three games. He goes to Ames, loses to an Iowa State team that was a lot better than we thought at a time when Oklahoma State hadn't figured it out. And then they come out of the bowl week. They, they beat Kansas State. They beat Kansas. They beat Oklahoma. They win the final bedlam. Alan Bowman, by the way, in the biggest moments, in the biggest game of the year, probably had his best game of the year in bedlam, beating Rashad Owens, Brennan Presley, Leon Johnson. I mean, he was phenomenal in Bedlam. And I understand the argument that people make because uh, I've got a buddy. We, we have lunch most weeks and we talk about Alan Bowman and he wants something different because he wants a higher ceiling than what Alan Bowman provides. And I understand wanting to chase that ceiling, but Alan Bowman is stability at the quarterback position. And I don't know how good um, Zane Flores is. I don't. But if you're asking me right now, would I rather have 12 games of Alan Bowman or Garrett Rangel next year? I think I'd rather have 12 games of Alan Bowman. I know what I'm getting another year in the system, another year with the receivers, another year with, with 12 games of Ollie instead of eight games of Ollie, nine games of Ollie in the non-con next season. You've got South Dakota State, you've got Arkansas, and you've got Tulsa. Um, unless Bobby Petrino really turns Arkansas around. I think Alan Bowman brings you out of the non-con three and O and then you've got nine conference games. You've got to play Utah. That's going to be tough, but OU and Texas are both gone. Uh, I mean, if you win your non-con, you don't think Alan Bowman can, can go seven and two in conference, get you to a 10 and two season. And you're probably playing for a big 12 championship. I think that's probably um, the most likely outcome. So if he gets another year and is able to come back, unless St. Flores is just a stud waiting in the wings, I think I'm team Bowman for 2024. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. Um, we'll have to wait and see. As you mentioned, there's a lot of variables involved. So, uh, But yeah, Gunnar Gundy officially in the portal, so there's some shakeup in the quarterback room. The the family, one of the tweets, one of the replies was, has Gundy lost the family room instead of the locker room? That is an incredible reply. Um, by the way, Ollie Gordon, first team All-American. Uh, yes, PFFs. Uh, you're talking about the PFF, he's on PFFs and CBS Sports, so the accolades are already starting to roll in for Ollie Gordon. I think PFF, PFFs, I have a lot more respect for because they only put one running back on their list, whereas CBS put two kind of a cop out. They put the Missouri uh, running back Schrader on there as well on the CBS one. But Ollie Gordon, the number one running back for PFF, and uh, this is pretty amazing, Colby. It kind of backs up what I've been talking about and just how rare and, and how what echelon Ollie's really been on this year. Uh, he's sixth on the single-season all-purpose yards list in OSU history. Uh, Barry Sanders obviously won two. Chuba Hubbard, which, good Lord, Chuba had 2,300 yards in 2019. Maybe I'm underselling Chuba, uh, what he was able to do. Uh, three, Thurman Thomas. Four, Terry Miller. Five, Ernest Anderson. And now six, Ollie Gordon with 1,940 total yards. He can certainly pass 
Ernest Anderson's uh, total, which is 41 rushing yards in the bowl game. Uh, Terry Miller, he can pass with, I believe, 69 yards rushing. And Thurman will be tough. I think he needs 191 yards to pass Thurman for third best all-purpose yardage season in OSU history. That that really kind of puts it in perspective, Colby. What Ollie Gordon was able to do in really nine games, ten games, kind of the, the Big 12 championship, it's pretty, pretty remarkable what he was able to do. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, did you see Marshall's tweet about the nine Oklahoma State running backs to earn All-America honors? Look at you, back on Twitter. I know, I'm back on Twitter. Um, I was, I was going to see if you saw this list, though, because if not, I was going to have you guess. We were going to play Oklahoma State trivia. I glanced at it. I, I, go ahead and quiz me. All right, uh, top of your head, there's nine. I just want to see how many you, you can get. A few of them are going to be obvious, and then a couple of them you're going to have to reach for, and there's one name on here that there's just no chance you're going to get. There's nine. What's the list of, again? Nine nine Oklahoma State running backs uh, who have been All-Americans. Kendall Hunter, Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas, Chuba Hubbard. That's four. Yep. Ollie, obviously, is is the free space. That's five. Ollie. So I'm missing four more. You know, I when I, I had to look up the top three all-purpose yardage seasons and a name that stuck out to me that you're probably referencing, and so I did not get this from the tweet, uh, David Thompson? David Thompson is not on the list. This okay. is – let's see. Uh, Terry Ernest, Miller? Terry Miller is on there. That's six. You got three more. Ernest Anderson? Ernest Anderson. That's seven. You got two more. Whew. One of them was on uh, Oklahoma State's most recent national championship team. Oh, Bob Finnamore. Bob Finnamore, 1944 and 1945, he was an All-American. I didn't know if they had All-American teams in 1945. We were busy fighting a war. Well, I actually don't know if he was awarded that in 1945 or if Oklahoma State applied for it in 2016, but either way, he was an All-American. Gerald Hudson? Gerald Hudson, that's the one I didn't think you would get. Great pull, 1990. Gerald Hudson, that is nine Oklahoma State running backs who've been All-Americans. I did not see that on the tweet. I think I only read, like, you know, Thurman and Barry, and I meant to come back to it. But I think Gerald Hudson, like, led the nation in rushing. I mean, that's that's a great pull, Gerald Hudson. This is, uh, this is a couple years before I was born, and this is not a name that I'm over. It's a name that I've seen before scrolling, but I never would have pulled Gerald Hudson as an All-American. 1,642 yards. 10 touchdowns in 1990. I couldn't even tell you what number he wears. I can't even picture him, but uh, I just remember from all the, you know, records get thrown out a ton. Um, so I remember that name and I remember the, that kind of factoid. He led the nation in rushing, but yeah, that that's kind of the list that, that he's on. It's um, it's amazing. And now the key is getting him to come back. I mean, what's your level of concern with that? Oh, with getting Ollie to come back. I, it's, it's really low for me because um NIL is is one thing I think Oklahoma State will take care of in there. I, I don't know that he'll get offered um, or, or awarded, whatever you want to say, the NIL package from Oklahoma State and donors and businesses, whatever you, whatever you, however you want to quantify that. I don't know that that will be as significant financially as what some other people might throw his way. Um, but I think he loves Stillwater, man. I think that this was a great season and – Money can buy a lot of things, but if we're talking about, you know, at Oklahoma State, he gets 500K, and if he goes somewhere else, he gets a million. Yeah, it's twice as much. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, but if he loves Oklahoma State and he wants to be a legend and, and he wants to come back and, and have the stadium stand up and, and you know, just be an Oklahoma State hero forever, I think he wants that. I think he wants his legacy to be as an all-time great at Oklahoma State where Barry did it. Um I think he's coming back, and, and I think that he'll come back for less than what he could get at another school. I hope so. Um, if I'm him, though, I, I would really like some clarity on the quarterback spot because, as we saw, without you know the threat of a legitimate you know high-octane passing game, a lot was on his shoulders, and you saw some of the frustration that he had. Maybe that had to do more with the fact he was banged up and just frustrated with how the game was going on. Uh if I'm him, I'd like some clarity on the quarterback position before I would commit. But you're right. I, I do think all those things you said are true. I think he loves Oklahoma State. I think he's willing to stay. And I think Oklahoma State's going to take care of him as best they can. Uh, just curious, if I'm him, I would want to real sit down, 
thorough discussion with Casey Dunn, with Mike Gundy about what this offense is going to look like next year. But I would certainly echo those sentiments. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have any problem with that. And that's probably a good point. You want to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. I, I think the number one selling point is, look, um, you're going to get 25 touches a game. We're going to be a good team again. Chances are you're going to have a great chance to win another Doak Walker Award. Yeah, you can go somewhere else, uh, and you can see if they'll build your offense around you, but we already did it here. We'll do it again next year. It will be the Ollie Gordon offense, um, and then the quarterback will will divvy the ball up amongst the receivers when needed to back the uh, to back the defense off. So I, I think that Oklahoma State selling the idea of building another offense around Ollie Gordon, package that with NIL, package that with how much he really seems to love Stillwater and love Oklahoma State, and I think that he'll be back next season. But obviously it's a huge one. That – that and Nick Martin. You've got to get Ollie back. You've got to get Nick Martin back. Either one of those guys leave, uh, and I've got concern on that side of the ball. Yeah, they did get a really huge piece already back, uh, and this has to do with pokes with a purpose uh, or pokes for a purpose. Pokes with a purpose. There, I got it right. Uh, important to get that correct. Uh, they announced with him that Joe Mahalski coming back for his sixth season. Uh, he's using his COVID year to come back. And this has kind of gone under the radar uh, in terms of how important this could be for Oklahoma State. I thought Mahalski, you know, he started every game. He played 954 snaps. Uh, he was great as the best uh, center in the country in week seven. Colby, Mahalski, this season he turned out. I don't think I can put him ahead of the season that David Godlevsky had uh, in 2021 at center spot. But he's become... He's put together one of the best seasons for an offensive lineman along with Godlevsky. I think you have to go back to Tevin Jenkins uh, as far as effective offensive line play out of one individual player. This is, it's not as big as Ollie Gordon, but in terms of the offensive line, he is there Ollie Gordon and he plays such a pivotal role as the center as well. I know he's had some, some issues with high snaps, things of that nature, but this is huge in terms of their ability to run the football at Ollie Gordon next year. Yeah, and I don't think the snaps have been a problem any more than most centers. Every so often, you're going to get a loose one. Uh, but I think he mostly cleaned that up this season. And, yeah, this is a huge get for Oklahoma State. This is just – it's a position group where Oklahoma State has just been unable to have consistency and unable to have just a high level of play over time, right, year over year over year. Um, and that's what Oklahoma State needs because we saw at times this year, Oklahoma State's offensive line looked really good. Um, and OU was good up front, and, and Texas was great up front, and that's OU in Texas, um, and, and they're recruiting at a top-10 level in the nation, and they've got dudes all across the front in the front seven. I get that. They're gone. They're out the window. Uh, you'll have to deal with Utah's defense next year. That'll be tough, and, and there will be some other good defenses in the Big 12 Conference, um, but I just this is a massive get for Oklahoma State. They need some chemistry and some consistency on that offensive line year over year, and I don't know if everybody comes back um, Bowman gets his extra year. I'm, I'm a little bit bullish on what this offense could do next season. And because coming back is a big part of that. Yeah. And we'll have to wait and see on other pieces like Brennan Presley. Uh, that would be big as well. But one last note on Mahalski. Uh, he, his 99.3 pass blocking efficiency rating tops among big 12 linemen with at least 800 snaps. So when we look at all these numbers of of how few times Alan Bowman was sacked, and Mahalski played a, just a pivotal, pivotal role in that. So getting him back is, is huge. And I thought Rashad Owens had an interesting quote about the transfer portal. He says, quote, I don't really see a lot of people hitting that portal, and it'll be surprising if some people do. So, Colby, it, it's a lot different this time than last year in terms of tons of speculation on players leaving last year. A lot of them did. Uh, people are singing a much different tune now, and I think a lot of that has to do with Mike Gundy's uh, reversal on his thoughts on the portal. It looks like he's more willing to have conversations. He mentioned that with Jaden Nixon, that he wanted to talk to him, uh, who missed the bowl game or missed the Big 12 title game with a personal matter. So it seems like Mike's way more willing to have a dialogue, and with pokes with a purpose, they're way more adept at compensating these guys and keeping them where they would like to be. I think a lot of times last year those folks – those players that chose to leave didn't have many options at Oklahoma State. Now it appears they do. Uh, yeah, this is a very much a – I got a lot of vibes from the Rashad Owens quote. That's a vibes quote right there. The vibes at the end of last season were terrible. This team wasn't having fun. They didn't love each other. Um, 
you, you know, you could just see it. You could see it with the naked eye from the outside looking in. The second half of last season just totally collapsed. And this year, everybody was on the same page. They never quit. Um, they suffered some big losses, but, man, they had some big wins along the way. And I, I think that Mike Gundy, we talked extensively after last season about NIL and the portal and his seeming seeming unwillingness to evolve. We talked about it extensively in September of this year and throughout the bye week. And then he just totally changed his tune. And, and he seems like he has really accepted that you have to recruit your current players. Casey Dunn talked about that. What yesterday, Monday, maybe talked about the fact that, you, you know, you recruit your current guys, you keep guys on campus who are productive, who are big time players. Um, I think Rashad Owens, after all the time specifically that he has put in at Oklahoma State, and then he finally this year got the chance to prove that he is a a dude on the outside. I mean, I would love to have that guy back uh, potentially as your number one X receiver next season, DeJon Stribling. I imagine if he wants to come back, we'll get a medical red shirt and be able to play again. Uh, Leon Johnson we know is gone, but BP can come back. Uh, Jaden Bray. I mean, that's a good receiving core right there whenever you look at the, the leap that Rashad Owens took this season and how great Presley is. If he decides to come back, you hope that Bray takes a leap uh, like what we saw from Owens this year. Um, but just in general with the team, yeah, I just think the vibes are great. I think that this is a group that had a ton of fun this year. Uh, guys want to be a part of it. And I think the coaching staff, obviously led by Mike Gundy, has, has come around to the fact that, hey, let's make sure that everybody here feels loved and feels valued and wants to stick around and continue building something here. And I think that that's what we're going to see. I, I think Rashad's right. I don't think we're going to see a ton of guys in the portal. Um, I think it'll be a lot of names like the ones we've seen over the past couple of days, guys who don't get a ton of playing time and want to get somewhere where they can, uh, can play college football and that's totally fine. And you'll fill those spots. But I think your key contributors, I think most of those guys who can come back will come back. Yeah. Ladarius Webb has entered the portal for Oklahoma state defensive back. Uh, played four games in an OSU uniform, uh, maintaining his red shirt, Ricky Lola Hia, who hasn't been on the roster since August. I think he left the program in fall camp. So those are their only two uh, defections to the the transfer portal. And I think kind of reiterate what we're talking about here, Colby, in terms of the vibes being being much different and being being great, as Mike Gundy expects, quote, I'm anticipating a large, large majority of our team playing in this bowl. But over the last two or three years, I think we would all agree that we don't know anything for sure until it's there in front of us. So hopefully we'll know in the next four or five days. So that that's a great sign too, Colby, that, a large majority of the roster is going to play in the bowl game. That tells you they're they're committed, uh, they're they're part of Oklahoma State, and they they expect to return next year. Yeah, I mean that's huge. If if all these guys go out in the bowl again, these bowl games have been devalued, um, and I get that. There's a lot of reasons for it. I understand it. I think that this year, Oklahoma State versus a and I think this is going to be a bowl game that both programs really want to win. You've got the new staff coming in in College Station, and, and they want to get some of those good vibes off the jump, and they want to go out and put all that talent together and win a big game. I think for Oklahoma State, it would just be a nice way to cap off the season. A&M is a bit down right now, but they're still a bunch of money, big recruits. I mean, they, they could afford a $76 million buyout, and they can afford uh, a roster to go with it. So, yeah, I, I think if you could go win this game, that would just be more good vibes for Oklahoma State and just I- indicative of how much all these guys love being a part of this team because what we've come to realize as the money has gotten so huge in the college football machine and in the NFL machine is that these bowl games, aside from the college football playoff, truly are exhibitions. Um, that being said, there's a lot of guys at Oklahoma State that want to go out and win that game, and I think that we will see – almost every key contributor suit up against Texas A&M. Would you be interested in having another Carson at Oklahoma State? Uh, yes. Carson with an E. Carson Ryan, a tight end from UCLA. He's he's listed as a running back, but his he, he basically plays tight end. Uh he's 6'4" 255. That would be that'd be quite the running back if he if he actually played that. He had no carries, no rushing yards, but he had did have 13 catches, 205 yards, and, and three touchdowns at the tight end position. Uh, so that's that's a guy that looks like Oklahoma State's interested in. And to me, Colby, that's very encouraging. I thought Josiah Johnson playing a true out-and-out tight end position did wonders for the offense. Just look at some of the biggest plays this season, the biggest third downs. Josiah Johnson was involved in several of them. Uh, I think getting away from the, the walk-on fullback prototype and more to a legitimate 
uh, blocking and receiving threat at the tight end position, I think is is back to what Oklahoma State offense should be. And so I I hope they land this guy. I mean, I don't know a ton about him, but I, more than anything, Colby, I'm just encouraged they're they're kind of getting back to a traditional pass catching tight end because it it's a quarterback's best friend. I mean, Alan Bowman looked at Josiah Johnson when when the chips were down many many times this year. Yeah, the uh, one against BYU, very noticeable on the third down when he snagged the missile across the middle of the field, pure hands out away from his body. Um, he, he was a beast this year. I listened to, D- to Dion Amade uh, talk about his blocking in one of the post games, just how good of a blocker he is. And, you know, Dion watches the film. He studies this stuff. And um, just talking about how much work he put in to make sure that Ollie had that extra hole to get through and get into open space. Uh, he was big time. And, and I think it's, it's a lot better for this offense to have that guy obviously there were some phenomenal tight ends at Oklahoma State a long time ago you think Billy um Bajima, you think Brandon Pettigrew there were some really good players at that position for Oklahoma State I think that kind of went away for a while and I would like to see it come back because yeah Alan Bowman used that guy over the middle of the field and out in the flat and I think that you can just continue to have those big bodied guys with good hands who can block that guy is just so so valuable uh to have a versatile offense to have one guy who can do all those things who can be in the middle of the field who can get out in the flat who can run block um who, who can help pick up a blitz when your quarterback needs an extra second to stand in the pocket those guys are so versatile and so valuable and um do we know is, is Josiah Johnson is he too old is he out will he be back I, I'm so confused on eligibility with all these guys well it's it's hard to say because you're right I mean you know I didn't it's hard to know that Mahalski had a COVID year. I mean, I guess we could go back through it. I mean, Josiah Johnson's listed as a redshirt senior. Uh, so unless, and that's where the COVID thing can come into play. I mean, he, I guess he does technically have a COVID year. He redshirted in 2018 and then played in 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. So maybe this was his COVID year. I don't know. Maybe this was his COVID year because that, yeah. was, that was five years in which he's played that you just rattled off yeah. unless, unless there was a medical red shirt in there. So uh, Carson and Colby math has him ineligible to return, but there are seemingly endless loopholes uh, in the few years since COVID to get guys back on the field in college football. So we'll cross our fingers and ho- hope that Carson and Colby math is wrong on his eligibility. Well, my math skills is why I got into television. People ask me how I got into TV. I said, financial accounting 101 at Oklahoma state kicked my tail so hard. I said, Give me something else to do. And they said, you sign up for journalism, no more math. I said, sign me up. I'll I'll sign it right now. So math, not my strong suit for sure. Um, I'm not sure what Oklahoma State's bowl options were going to be besides this tax act bowl against Texas A&M and Houston. Great locale for recruiting, great locale for Oklahoma State fans, as we saw when they played Houston. Uh, just kind of a bummer, Colby. Not only are they playing A and M again, who they recently played in a bowl matchup, but it's A and M without their head coach. Uh, kind of upheaval. But A and M is a three-point favorite against Oklahoma State. I think the last month of the season has Vegas pretty down on OSU. Eight o'clock. This is the Central Time Zone. This game's being played in Houston. Eight o'clock. Carson, am I focused <laughs> on the wrong thing? What's that? Am I focused on the wrong thing here? I'm just. All I've been looking at for bowl games. Is Old man time. yells at clouds. You're you're more concerned with kick times now than point spreads. I just, that's that's not like you. Once you have a kid and once you have a toddler, you you just get into a routine. And having to watch football until eleven thirty or midnight is not in the routine. And just on principle, I don't like Central Time Zone games starting after seven o'clock. That should be the latest start in the Central Time Zone. Uh, and now I'll stop ranting about kick times. I, again, you played Texas A&M recently. I don't think this is a terrible matchup for uh, headlines, narratives, things of that nature, because it is um, big money versus solid foundation, right? That, that's what we're dealing with here. It's a team in Texas A&M that, like I've talked about with Texas a lot, they want to microwave their program. They want to throw it in the microwave, and they want a gourmet meal to come out, and that's not always how it works. So I'll be interested to see how many of, of their key contributors from this season play in that game compared to how many of Oklahoma State's play in that game. I do think um, four weeks off for Oklahoma State to get healthy. I mean, some of these guys ha- have been playing, but they've been playing really, really banged up. And, and 
we use the term banged up to cover so many things. Uh, I mean, things that would absolutely deplete any one of us and put us on our couch for weeks if they happen in our real lives is what we refer to as banged up with these 19, 20, and 21-year-olds out here playing football every week. So getting four weeks to heal up, get healthy, get a game plan in place. Oklahoma State's been really good in bowl games, uh, and I would bet the Oklahoma State side of that line. I think that they'll be more fired up to play in this game and – Gundy has a proven track record. You give him four weeks to put a game plan together uh, and and to cut loose and have fun in an exhibition game. He's been really good in those settings. So I like Oklahoma State's chances. You might be on mute, Mr. Cunningham. I, I was. I had to sneeze and forgot to turn it back on. But more than just the money aspect and the solid foundation aspect when it comes to A&M and Oklahoma State, Kind of what we mentioned, Mike Gundy expecting majority of the roster to play. I mean, AM, you're questioning who would come back. I with Jimbo leaving and they're seemingly they're not they haven't been paying some of their players, their NIL that they were promised. I could see a level like remember when Oklahoma played Florida uh, a few years ago and I think it was the COVID year, like most of Florida's roster sat out or didn't play or transferred. I, I expect that to happen with AM. So you're you're gonna get an opportunity to play a team that is severely crippled from the portal. So go go beat them. Um, they have a new head coach in Mike Elko from Duke. I just saw they named Colin Klein, the offensive coordinator from Kansas State. Oh. So it will be interesting in that it'd be kind of hard to game plan for a new OC and new head coach. And you won't really know who to game plan for who's actually going to be on the field. So there'll be some guessing from Oklahoma State staff in their standpoint, but they're going to be crippled roster-wise, but they will have Colin Klein, which I was kind of surprised to see him leave Kansas State. But that tells me that, you know, uh, Chris Kleiman's not going anywhere anytime soon, and his, he'll have to wait on his dream job of, in Manhattan to come open. Uh, Yeah, a little bit of a surprise to see him leave Kansas State, but, you know, money, money! <laughs> they throw it around. They throw it around like they just have endless amounts of it. So uh, good for him. I'm sure he got a bag. Yep. Let's hear from uh, Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I had a few items on my Christmas list from Chris's. Be sure to log on, add a few to yours uh, while you still have time. Uh, I also noticed, you know, they have some Curse of Cowboys hats on their store online. Go check those out. And I, I saw a picture floating around on Twitter, Colby. I'm interested to see if you saw it, of one Todd Munkin on the sidelines at the uh, at Jerry World for the Big 12 championship game. And it was his hat was pretty worn in, so you can tell he wears it a lot. And I I just thought of that uh, that Wolverine meme, you know, Wolverine from X-Men laying on the bed, looking at a picture, just kind of touching it like sad, just, oh, I miss you. Uh, I kind of had those thoughts in that meme when I, when I saw Todd Munkin in a Curse of Cowboys hat. Uh, I had not seen that one, but yeah, that's nice. Talk about vibes. Uh, Ravens, I believe, were on by last week, so he made his way down and yeah, he's had a bunch of success up there. I think they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and I'm rooting for him. He was great at Oklahoma State. He's been great at most stops since. Um, yeah, just good, good stuff from Todd Munkin, and fun to see him in some orange. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's get to the Toast of the Week, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Be sure to check out your local uh, gas stations, liquor stores, and be sure to always drink responsibly. We appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast. I know a lot of people have enjoyed them throughout the year. A lot of rave reviews, and we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast and helping us do what we love to do, and that's this show and, and talk to you guys. So we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the pod. Who are you going with on your Toast of the Week, Colby? Yeah, for my Toast of the Week, I'm actually going to give it to the Oklahoma State fan base. And stick with me here. I think it was a good season um, for fan development, if you will, because – Oklahoma State fans went through the ringer this season. After what happened, the way the end of last year transpired, and September this year, it was full-on disaster, and we were all pretty much losing our minds. And then I think what has happened over the last two and a half months is Oklahoma State fans have really settled into this area where we now are confident in Mike Gundy's program, Mike Gundy's system, the way he does things. Um, and I think Oklahoma State fans have gotten to a real place of security with who we are as a program that we're not Alabama and we're not Georgia, but you can still have a ton of success at Oklahoma State. You can still have a ton of success as a fan without winning a national championship. Uh, the championship or bust mentality is not a fun way to be a sports fan at all. I've realized that over the past couple of years, uh, and it's made my relationship with sports so much better because 
you, you don't have to win it all to have a great season. You don't have to win it all to have great iconic moments. Um, and I think after the Big 12 championship game, most fans were very reasonable about the fact that it was a bad day. You came out flat. Game plan wasn't great. And you got beat up on by Texas. But that doesn't sour what was a great season. Uh, I think the atmosphere in Boone Pickens Stadium every week, except the BYU game, was phenomenal. Um, I think the Oklahoma State fan base has has really solidified itself as a knowledgeable, smart fan base who understands college football, understands our place in college football, um, and just loves the university. I, I Every time I went to Boone Pickens Stadium this year, I was just really, really proud to be an Oklahoma State fan and really happy to be in that stadium and to feel the atmosphere. Uh, and I just think being being an Oklahoma State fan is special. It, it's not built around winning. Um it's built around family, and and that's what the Oklahoma State fan base is. So that's my toast of the week this week. No, that's a good one. We had a tweet sent to us by Wampum, Wampum Mining LLC. Um, most appearances in the college football rankings um, out of 60 all-time, Oklahoma State's ninth, and they're tied with Michigan. College football playoff rankings. What did I say? You said college football rankings, so I wanted to make sure. Sorry, yeah, college football playoff rankings. There's only been 60 of them, and OSU is tied for ninth with Michigan at 43. The only teams ahead of them, Utah, LSU, Georgia, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. And that kind of goes with my toast to Mike Gundy. Uh, We talk so much about what Oklahoma State isn't and what it could be that sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I don't focus on what they are and what Mike has done enough. I mean, that list, Colby, just when Mike Gundy's gone from Oklahoma State, staying where they are on these lists that we see, you know, top 10 and wins since 2008. Uh, I just mentioned ninth in the college football playoff rankings all time. That is going to be hard to match or even let alone surpass. And it just reiterates the fact that Mike Gundy is one of the best to ever do it. And we're very fortunate that he went to Oklahoma state and has, has evolved into the coach that he is. And he's a hall of famer. And I just want to give a toast to Mike Gundy because I'm guilty of this. I focus so much on what isn't and not what is. And <laughs> that ranking right there is just incredible. Tied with Michigan who has the most wins in the history of the sport is amazing. And we probably don't give Mike as enough credit as we should, let alone the fact nationally, he definitely doesn't get the credit that he should. Um, so as frustrating as it is when you get in those, those bowl matchups or big 12 title scenarios where you, you want to harp on recruiting and the talent gap in certain areas. Uh, I'd certainly rather have this than what the basketball program looks like. Cause the basketball program does have the recruiting and they're not winning. Um, so give, give me Mike Gundy over what's going on in basketball. So give I'll, I'll toast to Mike. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and just to illustrate a point that I made on Sunday when we were talking about the Oklahoma State-Texas game, when you have the resources Texas have, uh, NIL, and, and they've got all the money and they've got all those things, the the highs can be higher, right? Like they're going to – they have a legitimate chance to be a national champion this year. They had a legitimate chance in 2009. But if, if you ask most people over the last 15 years, would it have been better to be an Oklahoma State fan or a Texas fan? Oklahoma State, 43 appearances in the college football playoff rankings. Texas is at 22. You, you've been there twice as often as Texas has over the last 15 years. It would, be, it would have just been so much more fun to be an Oklahoma State fan than a Texas fan. Uh, a school in this conference that a lot of people think that you're very comparable to is Kansas State, right? Again, Oklahoma State, 43 appearances in the playoff rankings. Kansas State, 21. So, I, I mean, Oklahoma State is just – when we zoom out, right, when we zoom in and we just look at specifics, um, I think we can drive ourselves a little bit crazy with how does this program get a little bit better and just take that next leap. And when we zoom out, I think we see that Oklahoma State is doing um, the absolute most with what they've got in college football. And Mike Gundy should be applauded for that. So that was, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, I touched on it. OSU basketball loses again. They lose to Southern Illinois. They're now three and five on the year. And we can we can probably get into basketball as now football season is mostly wrapping up a little later, but just not going in the right direction, Colby. Simple as that. 
No, it's not. This is this is obviously uh, a young team, and basketball is getting really hard to get invested in year in year out because there's so much roster turnover. There's so many guys that you don't know um, who are out here and, and doing it. And when you're not winning games, it, the buy-in from the fan base is tough. Um, and I love Mike Boynton, and I don't want to downplay just the crippling NCAA sanctions that he's dealt with for a long time. But now we're, we're coming out of that, and the results right now are, are really bad. Um, don't want to super overreact eight games into the season, and I want to see what they look like in conference play. But I can't imagine there's going to be some big turnaround. I mean, the Big 12 is just loaded again, just top to bottom loaded. Um, and Oklahoma State right now looks like they're, they're going to be one of the worst teams in that conference. So uh, hopefully it gets better. It may not. Carson, can I can I pour out a yingling? Sure. All right. I want to pour out a yingling for my college football playoff take on Sunday. Uh-oh. So here's what happened. Carson and I recorded probably an hour or so after the rankings dropped on Sunday, and my initial reaction, first snap reaction, was I'm really glad that Alabama's in there because that's going to give us a better game in the semis, right? That was my immediate reaction. Jordan Travis broke his leg. Um, yes, that's super unlucky, but this is going to give us the best game. Entertainment value, uh, sign me up for Alabama-Michigan. And over the last few days now, I've, I've had more time to think about it. I have had a chance to see who my allies were in this argument. The more I thought about it and the more I saw who I was aligned with, the more I really didn't like the side that I was on. Um, Florida State got screwed. Florida State got screwed. They should have been in. I, I want a 90% walk back my take. I don't want a 100% walk it back. And the reason I only want to go 90% is because I am very much team ABM, anyone but Michigan. And I think Alabama is going to beat them like a drum. I do not want Michigan to win. I don't want Harbaugh to win. I don't want that fan base with their persecution complex because they got caught cheating and now they're the victims because everyone's coming after them. I don't want Michigan to, to win. So from that standpoint, I'm still glad that Alabama was there. But the committee had Florida State, I believe, at four the week before. They win their conference title game. That Alabama at eight the week before. They bumped them up. Them up. Here's the reality of what should have happened. Um... Washington, Florida State, and Michigan should have automatically been in. Those are three teams who went undefeated, Power 5 conference champions. And I think the weakest of the three, by the way, is undoubtedly Michigan. I think they're by far the weakest of the three. We have pretty decent evidence that they were cheating for at least about half the season. Connor Stallions, team MVP. Um, Washington <laughs> probably should have been the one seed. Michigan was the weakest of the undefeated. But they all three should have been in because the games do have to matter and one of our listeners and, and I really want to hopefully I can pull this back up quickly uh, so I can give somebody the shout out here uh, it was ah I'm trying to find it well I'll, I'll give you some time to look it up because I do agree um, the idea that Michigan is just far and away the best team because they play in the Big Ten you know, you know what I'm going to say about it I mean they have one quality win in my mind maybe two if, this is what this is the biggest problem I have. They get so much credit for beating Penn State. And all Penn State does, Penn State is Iowa in disguise in boring ass uniforms. That's what Penn State is. They're Iowa. They can't score on air. They are terribly, horribly offensive football team. And <laughs> this comes down to the SEC and the Big Ten running the show. That's the only reason Michigan is the number one seed. And I agree. I do think they're the weakest of the undefeateds. No one's talking about their inept offense. They're only talking about Florida State without their quarterback. Well, let's talk about it. Florida State had more yards in championship weekend. They won by nine in the swamp at night while Bama was needing an absolute miracle fourth and 31 against a six and six Auburn team and Alabama Went down to the wire with Arkansas, who's barely a football program. So I'll get more into it, but I thought I'd give you some time to stall there and just my immediate thoughts. Yeah, I, I found what I was looking for, uh, and it was a message from Paul Enright that I got on Twitter. And this is when it kind of clicked in my brain that I was on the wrong side. Because um, sometimes we can get take lock, right? We have a take, it's our initial take, and we lock ourselves into it. And then we try to find ways to defend it as we go. And I, I wanted to continue to think about this situation and Paul messaged me 
And he said that this situation is close to the same argument OU fans were making on why they should have been in the Big 12 championship game. Well, we're obviously a better team. It would have been a better game if we were there. And, and that's the argument for Alabama in over Florida State. But the reality is Oklahoma State earned it on the field. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma played. Oklahoma State won the game. Oklahoma State had the tiebreaker. Oklahoma State win the Big 12, went to the Big 12 championship game because they earned it on the field. And when I read that, I, it, it kind of clicked. I was like, you know, Florida State did earn it. And then the committee just decided on vibes to put Alabama in. And what should have happened is the three undefeated should have been in. And then that final spot should have been determined uh, between Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. You put all the resumes together and – it, it it's something that never would have happened, but the SEC probably should have been left out. Texas went to Tuscaloosa and won in September. And I know what people are going to say. The argument for Alabama there is, well, totally different team, totally different Alabama team. Yes, it is a totally different Alabama team, but guess what? Your entire resume means that you have to be punished because you couldn't decide that Jalen Milrow was a stud in September. You couldn't decide how to best use Jalen Milrow in September. And you got walked up and down your home field by the University of Texas. So it should have been the three undefeateds and it should have been Texas. Um, I did not lock myself in to the take that I made Sunday. That was an incorrect take. Uh, now, I still hope Michigan gets absolutely drubbed by Alabama, but it was an incorrect take on Sunday. The games have to matter. The three undefeated should have been in. They have to matter. And what really just chaps my you-know-what is Kirk Herbstreet has become a mouthpiece for ESPN. And that's where I think all this is gone. I mean, this is ESPN owning the SEC. This is Herbstreet going up there and justifying putting Alabama in over an undefeated Florida State. Kirk Herbstreet, of all people, should know how hard it is to go undefeated. I believe only 11 teams have done it since 2005. Only eight from the Power Five. It is so hard to go undefeated. It's almost impossible. I mean, a Big 12 team hadn't done it since 2009. I mean, think about that. That was the Colt McCoy year, and they needed a miracle field goal to beat Nebraska to remain undefeated. That's how hard it is to do. And this eye test that Herbie came up with in 2011 to hose Oklahoma State, just it it holds no water. It's basically justification for a lack of a resume. And I don't understand why people aren't talking about Florida State's defense like it is Michigan's. Because Florida State had 14 tackles for loss and seven sacks against a Louisville offense that was had, had not scored less than 23 points in September. And... I'm sorry. Where, where's the eye test with Alabama struggling with South Florida, struggling with Arkansas, needing an absolute Hail Mary miracle to beat 6-6 six and six Auburn? Florida State won by nine. And that's the other thing. It should be more impressive. It should make Florida State look even better that they won the way they did the last two weeks with a third-string quarterback for, for a whole game and the fourth quarter in, in the Swamp. And I just, I don't get it how you can claim Michigan so superior. I just, I don't get it. But here's, here's what's great, Colby. Here, Florida State has the opportunity to claim a national championship. If they beat Georgia, they should absolutely claim it. And I think they'll get votes. And it really kind of depends too on how many votes they're going to get, how the playoff shakes out. I mean, what if, if Alabama runs the table and Florida State's the only team left standing with an undefeated record, and you thought Florida State should have been in, you should absolutely vote for Florida State. Yeah, it's just the whole thing is a mess, and I, I will stand firmly behind one thing I said on Sunday, which is that college football at the highest level has just never had a good way to, to determine a champion. I mean, back in the day, they used to vote after the regular season before the bowls were even played. It was just totally on vibes. You just, yeah, I, they seem like the best team. And people would send in their votes and, oh, look, Oklahoma's the national champion. Oh, Alabama's national champion. Oh, Notre Dame's the national champion. Oh, look at that. Shocker. Um, and then you go to the BCS. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What was it, 2000? Oh, top of my head, 2004, maybe? Auburn goes undefeated in the SEC? doesn't get a chance to play for the national title. What a disastrous way to determine a champion in any sport. And now you're in a 14 playoff, which still simply is just not enough. Um, the FCS has been doing this forever. Division two, division three, like 
Everyone else has figured it out except for the highest level of college football. Acts like this is some crazy experimental thing to take all the best teams and put them in a playoff at the end of the season and see who wins to determine a champion. It's unreal that it's 2023 and it has taken us this long to get to a legitimate way to determine a champion in college football. So I don't know about you, Carson. I say that we just start all the record books. Uh, for college football national championships next season, we throw out all of OU's, we throw out all of Alabama's, we throw out all of Notre Dame's, and starting next season, we will have a legitimate way to determine a national championship in college football, and that is when the national championship record books will start being kept. Yeah, an old clip from Mike Leach kind of went viral this week. He he basically goes into detail, like, well, what do they do in Division Three football? Well, they have a playoff. Division Two, NFL. He's like, it's only... Division one football, do they not have a legitimate playoff to determine who is the best team and who earns it on the field? And one argument I'm one last thing, one last argument I'm tired of hearing. And my friend Jared Black, great golfer out at Galardia, tweeted me and you know, justified the committee's decision. They put the four best teams in. Alabama would be favored, Florida State would get killed. Uh people like him were probably saying that TCU was going to get killed by Michigan and probably didn't, didn't deserve to be in. What happened? TCU beat Michigan clearly. And if that is your argument that Alabama would be favored and that's that they deserve to be in. What about Georgia? Georgia was just a five and a half point favorite over Alabama. Georgia would be favored still over every team in the, in the, the final four. They would. So there is no leg to stand on or, or reason to justify Alabama's inclusion. There's just not, I mean, you want to tell me their strength of schedule is better. They lost a game. Florida State went 2-0 and against the SEC, played one on the road, played one on a neutral site, blew, blew LSU off the map, uh, won, a, uh, won a rivalry game by nine points while Alabama needed a Hail Mary. You have no leg to stand on. And again, this was a travesty to the sport. of You really, this committee made the decision to say the best regular season in sports does not matter. And to me, that's criminal. It's a travesty. I love college football. It's my favorite sport, has been for a long time. But it is by far the most flawed sport in existence. Describe Kyle Porter went on a rant about this on Twitter after our discussion with him. Imagine the Celtics going 82-0 and Jalen Brown gets hurt and they don't they don't put him in the playoff. They don't get a chance to play for the, the NBA title. Like that's that's essentially what happened. Uh it's just it's a joke. And I thought the committee succumb to political power with the SEC and the Big Ten. No doubt about it. I think in hindsight, Colby, I thought it was kind of silly that I even thought Florida State would get in because there's no way in hell they were leaving the SEC out. There's there's just no way. Yeah, the longer I thought about it, the more I came over to that side and just how insane it is that uh, the regular season just doesn't matter. Uh, it is, like you said, a Jordan travesty. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're, would- you're, you're dad looking at kickoff times. Now you're making dad jokes. Do we have to end the podcast now? Is that is that how this thing has to end? Uh, no, I mean, you got any more thoughts on the playoff besides that? Um, Here, rank for me. I'll, I'll go first. You can have a second to think about it because I thought about it beforehand. Uh, I want each of us to rank our four teams that are in the playoff in terms of who we most want to win it to who we least want to win it. And I'll start and I'll give my reasoning so you can have a minute to think about it. The team I most want to win it is Washington. Uh, great, you know, just change of pace, right? It's not one of these big uh, blue blood schools. It's It's been a good program, uh, but it hasn't been great like these others. Michael Phoenix has a great story. Um, Jabbar Muhammad is up there, obviously. So Washington would be my number one. Texas would be my number two um, because that is the scenario that I think drives OU fans the most crazy. I know that they're kind of buddies now that they're going to the SEC together, but they're not really buddies, and OU fans really don't want to see Texas win a natty whenever uh, – OU's last national championship could go to a bar and buy itself a drink. So I would put Texas at number two. At number three, I'm going to go Alabama, and they're only at number three because Michigan defaults to number four because I just can't stand the idea uh, of them getting caught for cheating and then two months later winning the national title. It, it just it really makes me sick to think about that scenario. So those are my four, Washington, Texas, Bama, Michigan. Uh, what are yours? I'd probably – See, the, the debate for me, I've got the same one and two. Texas doesn't 
when they won it in 05, I wasn't upset. I mean, they were just a really good football team. If they were to win it this year, I just, hey, you tip your cap. You, you lost to them in the Big 12 title game. They're no longer in the Big 12, which helps. I'd probably be rooting against them harder if we had to compete with them any longer. I, I'm really torn on Alabama and Michigan. Michigan, the cheating, obviously, I think I'm, I'm tempted to put them four. But I really don't want Alabama to win to justify this travesty that occurred, this joke of putting them in. And I, we all remember Ohio State getting in with their third-string quarterback and winning it all and all those people saying, see, they were the best team. They deserved to be in when, again, regular season just didn't matter. They already lost. Um, so I'd, I'd probably go the same order, though. Yeah, I think that that's a reasonable take on all fronts. I, I think we've covered mostly everything unless you've got anything else. Nope, that's all I got. Uh, have a good time skiing, and we'll uh, catch up with you next week. Yep, we'll be back uh, probably middle of next week. We'll get a little more into basketball and then see how college football uh, bowl season is shaking out as we start to get into it. So, everybody have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. As always, go Pokes.